Hello and welcome to the Journey Church podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing this morning? Anybody get caught on the train this morning? I sat and waited for the 7 train for a long time. But I'm glad that you're here this morning. You battled the trains, you battled the rain, and you're here. So it's good to be here worshiping with you this morning. Uh, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. And then we're going to jump into the second week of our series, Relationship Goals. And so here's how we're going to do prayer this morning. It, I'm going to lead you in, in praying a prayer for yourself to be receptive to the Word of God. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for myself as well. And so let's go to the Lord and let's ask Him to meet with us through His Word. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you have identified us as your children. And God, we are grateful for all of the ramifications of that. And so, God, I pray that as you open your word, that you would speak to us in a powerful way. So I'm going to ask you now to just take a time and pray for yourself that you would be receptive to the word that God has for you this morning. Take a moment and pray for me as I preach and ask God to speak through me and, and that I would be obedient and courageous to sing what God has for us this morning. Father, we ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's no secret, we, my wife and I, love going to Broadway shows. And uh, recently, I saw a show called Dear Evan Hansen. And it has a lot to do with what we're talking about this morning, of all things. Uh, but the opening number is a song called, Does Anyone Have a Map? And it is referencing parenting. And I want to read you a couple of the lines from this song. And if you're a parent in the room, or you know some parents, or maybe you have some parents, you can relate to this. And so let me, let me read this to you. It says this. Does anyone have a map? Anybody maybe happen to know how to do this? I don't know if you can tell, but this is just me pretending to know. So where's the map? I need a clue. Because the scary truth is I'm flying blind. And I'm making this up as I go. Any parents? Give me an amen with that. Come on. That's how, that's parenting. So point number one is this right here. Let's see what this says. That's the main point. Point number one, parenting is stinking hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. Parenting is stinking hard. And uh, this past week we were doing parent-teacher conferences through Zoom with our kids, uh, our kids' teachers. And one of our teachers, uh, she was about to have a baby. And she's like, hey, I would love to hear your advice. And our advice was, fake it till you make it, right? That's the advice. Um, amen. Let's go home. That's, uh, that's parenting in a nutshell. But here's the truth. God has a lot to say about parenting. And parenting represents a whole lot about the gospel. And, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to see how God does have a lot to say about parenting. And yes, parenting is hard, but parenting is so very important. Because the way that your child looks at you is, is going to be the first impression that they have about how God is towards them. And as we talked about before, A.W. Tozer says that the things we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so 
Uh, for us as parents, we have to understand that parenting is hard, but it's incredibly important. Reggie Joyner, who's an author and a speaker who talks about parenting and the church, how the church partners with parents to disciple the next generation, um, he talks about how uh, parents are the single greatest influencers in a child's life. That more than friends, more than anybody else in their life, that your parents are the single greatest influencers on your life. And they set the trajectory for the rest of your life. And even if they're um, best parents, they, they're the greatest influence. If, if they were absent, that has an incredible influence on you. And so what we do as parents is incredibly important. And, and so uh, maybe you're here and you say, well, Pastor Jordan, I am not a parent. And by the grace of God, I will not be a parent anytime soon. So what does this have to do with me? What we know from this, and we talked about this last week, is, is these three examples that Paul uses in this section are, are illustrations to help us better understand our relationship with the Father. And, and this one specifically, uh, really, you'll, I hope you'll see, it, it gives us a, a dichotomy of what we view as what we would call not super great parenting, uh, but then we see how God fathers us and loves us and, and cares for us uh, with the good news of the gospel. So, all of that to say, let's jump into Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well for you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so if you remember, we want to set the context and set the background that uh, what Paul is writing into, this is a letter written to a specific group of people, and the, the context he's writing into is what we would describe as a paterfamilias culture. And what that means is that all of the, the power and the control was held by the father of the family. Okay, so a, a professor from Baylor University, Dr. Beth Barr, wrote this about the Potter Familius. She says, male guardianship was Roman law. Wives legally had to submit to the authority of their husbands, and unmarried women had to submit to the authority of their fathers or nearest male relatives. Women could not own property or run businesses in their own right. Women could not conduct legal or financial transactions without a male acting on their behalf. And so when you look at this, you can see how when, when this was written, this first section uh, of, of this was written, it wasn't anything shocking for them. It wasn't shocking for them to hear, children, obey your parents. Children, honor your father and mother. Because this is something that's been taught over and over again, both in, in the culture of Judaism, but also in, in the Roman culture where this is set. That it was very customary for for children to submit to the authority of the father of the family, all right? And there's some truth to this, and there's some things that we can pull from this, and the two that I would look at is that first word, obey. When you think about that word, obey, uh, it means obey. It means following instruction. Uh, but the second word that you see there in verse 2 is this word, honor. And I think this is a really important word uh, to understand for us, uh, to get a better understanding of, of, of the culture here. Because in the Old Testament, when you read this in the Ten Commandments, you would read that word honor, it is the word kabod. And the word kabod, it literally means a weight that we carry. And so the idea of this is that as a child, 
is operating in their life, they have this weight of representation of their family, right? They carry this weight of every decision they make, everything they do is a reflection on the family. And so to honor their parents is to carry that weight well. And it gives you a different understanding of what that word honor means. In the New Testament, the word kamal, in that word, it means value, right? And so it's this weight, but it's also this idea that, that you, you see value in this relationship. And, and that it's costly, and it's important. And so when you read the story in, in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son, who, if you're familiar with that story, it's the story where the, the, uh, the son wishes that his father would, would just give him his inheritance. And he goes off and he lives carelessly, and, and he doesn't carry the weight, he doesn't honor his father well, but he also um, doesn't hold the value uh, of what that meant. And so there was a great deal of shame that would have been associated with that kind of a story. And so uh, when Paul writes this, he's reflecting on the Ten Commandments, he's reflecting on the Old Testament law, he's reflecting on the culture that's around him that says that uh, we, we need to lift up the power and the authority of the father, and it's important for everybody in the household, both the wife, the children, and the servants to all give their authority, their allegiance, their submission to the father. There was nothing about this that was shocking in any way. And so Paul writes that um, in that way. Uh, but then Paul moves on in verse 4, and let's, let's keep reading. In verse 4, it says, Father, do not exasperate your children. Maybe your translation says, do not provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And the image of this is an overbearing disciplinarian who constantly corrects and rebukes a child for every little mistake or perceived wrong. And, and what, what Paul is saying is that, that as fathers... When you do that, uh, that's going to provoke your children. That's going to lead your children to anger. And so um, there's a couple of points that we're going to have with this section. And, and this, the first is this. Obedience motivated by power leads to bitterness. Obedience motivated by power leads to bitterness. But then secondly, the other side of that is that obedience motivated by love leads us to unity. When Paul is writing this, and he makes this distinction for fathers, this was so countercultural Because the idea that the father would submit in any way, or do anything to, uh, to care and love for his children uh, over and above what he would normally do, is countercultural. There, there was no frame of reference within the Roman culture for that. And so Paul's call to not provoke his children to anger, but instead bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord, um, was really a call of the Father to step into leveraging their power, leveraging their authority to, uh, for the good of others. And so as we, as we talk about the gospel throughout the book of Ephesians, we, we've said how the gospel and the good news of Jesus, it raises us up and it brings us and what Paul is calling fathers to do in this culture is to raise up their children and to bring them to And I go back to that story of the, the prodigal son. 
in that culture, that story was, as I said, countercultural, because you had this father who, his son comes to him and says, Father, I want, I want my inheritance now. Essentially, in that day, that would have been like the son saying, I'd rather you be dead, because I don't want a relationship with you. I just want the things that you can give me. And so he goes, and the father gives him his inheritance. He gives him his portion. So the son goes, if you're familiar with the story, you know the son goes, and he squanders it. And he goes and spends the money on partying, women, and drinking, and all of that. And so he has nothing left. And he finds himself, as a, as a Jewish man, um, with nothing, eating the food that pigs were eating. And so this was, what, what Jesus was doing when he was sharing the story was really trying to communicate this, this guy was in a shameful place. That he wasn't just poor at this point. He didn't just squander. He didn't just shame his father. He was in a position where he was eating the food that an unclean animal would eat, which was like a double negative at that point. And this son was in this place of shame, and he was thinking to himself, the servants that my father has, they're, they're treated better than I am. And, and I may never have a relationship with my father again, but at least if I can get him to bring me back into the family just enough to be a servant, I'll be treated better than this. And so the Bible says that he comes to his senses. He comes to the end of himself. And he starts back home. And if you remember the story, you know what the father does. The father's out on the porch. He's out on the front. And he's looking out and he sees his son coming. And what does he do? He runs to him. And he runs to him. In this culture, that would have been so crazy. Because this is the son who shamed the family. This is the son who didn't just take what, was, what, what wasn't his at that time, but he took it and, and spent that money on shameful things. This father typically would have looked at this son and said, you are dead to me, get out of my face. And so that's why if you, if you hear the story from uh, Messianic Jews, they would communicate the story not as the prodigal son, but they would communicate the story as the, the father who ran. Because it was such a big deal that this father would, would run to his son. And so he ran to his son, brings him back in, says, man, my son was dead, but now he's alive. Let's throw a feast, let's kill the fat calf, throw a cloak on him. And he takes this son who should have been shamed, who is living in shame. And what does he do? He brings him back in. And he restores him, he raises him up. Why? Because his motivation wasn't his own power. Or his motivation is love. And Jesus shares this story as a way to communicate this is how the Father is towards us. That in our lives, we bring nothing to God that's of any value to God. And the, the way that they would expect God to treat us, the way that they would expect God to treat them, and the way that we often would expect God to treat us, it is with this, you are shameful, Get out of my face. You don't deserve my presence. But what Paul is saying here is that's not how God is. God is motivated by love. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so in that place of shame, the Father ran to us in the person, the God-man of Jesus. That he left heaven. He left this place that he didn't have to leave. And he came to us and he pursued us. 
And instead of provoking us to anger, instead of leading us towards bitterness, he invites us into the family. It's the power of the gospel. And, and Paul gives this example as, um, to us as parents, for those of us that are parents in the room, that there's a way for us to, to lead our children to bitterness, but there's a way for us to lead our children to unity, to health, and, and to spiritual maturity. And, and it's this idea that when we, we lead with power, um, that leads us to bitterness. And so let's talk about that for a minute. Um, when we parent that way, we communicate to our kids, whether intentionally or not, we communicate to our kids that our, their value is determined by their performance. And so we celebrate the things that they do really well, and then we are harsh with them when they don't meet our expectations. We communicate this idea of, you do this because I said so, right? And then we have closeness and intimacy. We use those things as a reward for when they meet our expectations. And if, and if that's you, that's me too, okay? I, I've struggled with this as a parent. There's, like I said before, there's, there, there's not a map, there's not a, a handbook that can tell you, hey, this is how you interact with your kids in these situations. And so in, in no way am I trying to keep any shame or guilt or any of that on anybody in the room, but the, the nature is that those things, those ways that we approach parenting are not healthy for our kids. But there's a better way. And, and what Paul teaches us, the better way is the way motivated by love. And so rather than rather than having value determined by their performance, their value is determined by their identity as our children, that we are delighting in them just for being here. And so I would encourage you, if you're a parent, you're like, man, what can I do? How can I, how can I do better? Man, find opportunities to just delight in your kids as much as you can. And one of the best things that you can do is to take this thing with your kids and just put it down. We disconnect to connect, right? There, there's things that, um, that we can do subtly to just show, um, show love and care for them. Instead of saying, because I said so, right? I, I admit, man, I say that way more than I should. But instead of saying that, promise to revisit that conversation and find time to unpack it. Because usually when I'm saying that, hey, I need you to do this because I said so, it's because I'm in a hurry. But what I try to do and, and what I encourage you to do is to shift that and say, hey, I don't have time in this moment to explain this to you, but let's revisit this. And I'll come back and I'll unpack it for you. And, and you build that rhythm in and, uh, and, and I think that that's going to be helpful to you. Another thing that we can do is apologize often. As parents, we have to be great at apologizing. And sometimes our kids, we can, uh, we can teach them that you know, adults are always right and kids are never wrong. But as parents, we can, we can shift that and say, you know, there are some times where dad doesn't mean it. There's some times where dad doesn't meet that expectation of how I should be as a father. And so by taking time to apologize often, you're, you're communicating, hey, it's okay to not be perfect. But it's also okay for you to offer grace to me as a father. And I'll tell you, man, that's been the single greatest thing in, in our relationship with our kids. It's just taking ownership of the times that we fall short. And that's not a sign of weakness, that's a sign of strength. Jesus gives us this example that's contrary to... Um, to that 
father figure that we see. Um, he, he gives us that example in, in Luke 15 when he talks about the prodigal son, the father who loves. But this relationship is built and is motivated by love and not by power. So as we, as we wrap up, I want to read this again, and then I want to give you some really practical things on, on what we can do as parents to, to, to pour into our kids. So let's look at this verse again in verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So there's three things that I want to give you as practical pieces that, that we can apply uh, immediately. The first is, we talked about it, is disconnect with your mouth. Right? Disconnect your phone, put your phone aside, and be intentional to connect with your kids. And I know that there's times in my life where I can get so worked up, and so I just need to decompress. And, and I would say, Vince, find those times to decompress in a healthy way. But then when you're, you're with your kids, don't, don't let them suffer for our sake. Find time to connect with them and be where your feet are. Don't be in the room and checked out somewhere else. Second is, is have rhythms of dedicated spiritual connection. Have rhythms of dedicated spiritual connections. And we would talk about this as being family worship. Find times in the rhythm of your life to, to be intentional about pouring into your kids spiritually. As Paul says, that, that we're called to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And so one of those ways is that regular rhythm of, of family worship. And so uh, I want to give you just a, a a quick model on what that could look like for you uh, in a way that's crazy, right? So it's okay that it's crazy. Uh, but three parts. First is uh, answer the question, what made you smile today? Right? Start the conversation with what made you smile today? Or if your kids are a little bit older, then tell me about your day. Tell me about things that are happening in your life. Right? Try to generate that conversation. And sometimes you're not going to get a whole lot, and that's okay. Be the one who's regularly asking those questions. And, uh, and, and our kids being young, that, uh, that question of what made you smile today always generates some form of conversation. The second thing is uh, read a verse from the book of Proverbs and allow time to share thoughts. And the reason I say Proverbs, Proverbs is super practical. And it's super, super short. And, uh, and you can pull a verse from there and always generate some type of conversation. Um, it doesn't have to be Proverbs. It can be any part of Scripture. Uh, but that's a really quick one that we found has been really helpful. Uh, but just take time to, to open up God's Word as a family and let them see you value God's Word. And then the third thing is to take a moment and pray with and for each other. And this is huge. And, and these prayers, uh, they go a long way. Because what, what they're showing your kids is that man, prayer is an important part of your life. And this is an important part of your life, so much so that you're inviting your kids to be a part of it. So answer that question, generate that conversation, open up a verse, and, and talk through it, and then take a moment to pray with, with and for each other. And I'll tell you how this will go. Especially if your kids are younger, this is going to be the craziest time of your life. You're going to sit at the table, and you're going to feel like you're doing this terribly. Because your kids are going to be bouncing all over the room. Your kids are going to be interrupting. They're going to be asking questions. You'll go from talking about Jesus to talking about Pokemon to then Harry Potter and then something happened at school today. And here's what I would say. Be consistent with it. Understand it's going to be crazy. 
understand that you know, you're not going to have a theological deep conversation every time, but what's important is that your parents or your, your children see in you that this matters, that this is important as a family, that, that we want to train up our children in the Lord. And so this consistency is so important. So going back to the, the application, you know, we, we want to have these rhythms of dedicated spiritual connection, but we also want to counteract that. With, we want to be able to reframe everyday occurrences as spiritual conversations. And, and you see this in the way that Jesus discipled the twelve. That everywhere Jesus went, you, and maybe you've noticed this, as you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus is like talking about the fig tree here, and then he's talking about water over here. And, and what's happening is, Jesus is having these conversations as he's walking. And so he's walking down the road, and there's a fig tree, and he says kingdom of God is like a fig tree. And he has a conversation. And he's walking down the road and oh, the kingdom of God is like this or it's like that. And, and he's using these everyday things and he's reframing these things for spiritual conversation. And one of the is to just take our kids with us. And as they're doing, as we're doing life, start reframing little things about why they're, uh, why they're important. Um, a, a quick example is uh, you know, we had a, a bag of chips, and you know how chips, they do a great job filling the bag of chips all the way to the top of chips. They, why do they do that? Why do they not do that? But we opened up this bag of chips, and there was like three chips in there. And I'm just like, man, that stinks. And I look at my son, I'm like, man, that's, that's kind of like the kingdom of God, right? That's kind of like how sin portrays itself, isn't it? That on the outside, you think that this is something that's going to be really satisfying and really exciting, but you open it up, and what happens? It's empty. And so some of the things that we see as being attractive to us, man, they don't really have a lot of substance to it. And that little thing, man, it's just a little small seed that you can plant. And so as you're spending time with your kids, and as you're not distracted by the things around you, and as you're having those, those everyday moments, you, you just learn to take in every opportunity as a discipleship. Parents, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be shamed. Parenting is hard. It is one of the hardest things that we can do as human beings to raise up somebody else. But I want you to be encouraged that you can do this. You can do this by, by being intentional. You can do this by, by being present. God's with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, man, I, I didn't have a parent like that. But that gave me a picture of who God is. That God is this one who's, who's distant from me. God is this one who's just ready to crush me. And that's how you perceive God. And I want to say, man, God is so far distant from that. God's so different than that. So much so, and he came to us. And he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross as a substitute for us, the payment that we deserve to pay because of our sin. He died before instead of us. And by us having faith, by believing that the cross counted for us, he took his righteousness and he put that on us. He took his goodness and he put that on us. And he invited us in to be part of the family of God. And it takes 
belief, the pay extended faith in Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we'd love to have that conversation with you about how to do that. And it's simple as this. It's confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he's the boss, he is the authority of your life, and you want to follow him. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that when Jesus died on the cross, that that counted for you. And then it's walking in that new identity, knowing that you are going from being distant from God to now being a child of God. God loves you. He cares about you. And my dad would say this all the time. He'd say, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Because he created you, he knows you, he cares about you. He's a good father. He's a good father who wants good things for his kids. So come home. Come follow Jesus. And we'll walk this out together. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for it. In fact, that you're a God who's not distant, who's not far, but you're close to us. God, it says in the book of Acts that you have created us to live in the times that we live so that we would seek you. And so, God, it's no accident that you've brought us here this morning to talk about this subject. And so, Lord, I pray for the person that's here this morning who views you as being this one who's ready to crush them. And God, I pray that your spirit would soften their hearts and draw them to yourself. God, I pray for the parents that are here this morning, the moms and dads who are defeated, are struggling in their parenting, who are feeling so defeated. God, I pray that you would give them encouragement. God, I pray that you would encourage them to know that they're, they delight, or that you delight in them, and that you're with them. God, I pray for our church, that we would be uh, people, that, that we would be a safe place, that we can share the burdens that we have as parents together. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray.